Hey, Unchained listeners. As you know, it's hard keeping up with the fast-paced world of crypto, so we've got just the thing for you. Subscribe to our free Unchained daily newsletter at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. You'll get the latest crypto news and original articles from our reporters, as well as summaries of other happenings and bullet points, plus our meme of the day, all curated and written by our amazing team. It's still your no-hype resource for all things crypto, just in newsletter form. Sign up at unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Again, the URL is unchainedcrypto.substack.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Unconfirmed, the podcast that reveals how the marquee names in crypto are reacting to the week's top headlines and gets the inside scoop on what they see on the horizon. I'm your host, Laura Shin. Smart contracts are on the rise, and that trend will only continue. Security has become an absolute necessity, and QuantStep is the standard for smart contract security for the blockchain. With a team of security experts dedicated to defeating the bad actors, QuantStamp is the gold standard for safer, more reliable smart contracts. Find out more at QuantStamp.com. Your branding and website are the first things your audience will see. In the ever-expanding world of ICOs and blockchain startups, you need to stand out from the pack. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that will help you amplify your brand with a perfect website, logo, collateral, or custom design project. Get big results in no time by visiting thinkonramp.com. My guest today is Stefano Bernardi, co-author of the Token Economy Newsletter and Angel Investor. Welcome, Stefano. Thank you. Thanks for having me. What's been on your mind lately? Um, you know, through Token Economy, we're really exposed to most of the things that happen in crypto. And, and one thing I've recently been um, kind of going deep into is what I call fully digital security tokens. What does that mean exactly? So I, I just coined that term. I don't know if that's the right one. But what I mean is uh, security tokens that only really exist into the crypto sphere. So when people talk about security tokens, most of the time what they mean or think about are representations, online representations of offline securities. So interest in funds, you know, pieces of real estate, um, equity in startups, and things like that. But, um, you know, those are things that are fairly straightforward to understand. And, you know, the challenge of bringing them on the blockchain and the opportunity is real um, and massive, in my opinion. But it's, uh, it's kind of figured out. So what I, I try to spend my uh, mental cycles on are these fully, fully digital security tokens, which are, um, you know, they could be anything, but they could represent uh, shares of income or other type of uh, complicated derivatives. And they all happen in the in the crypto sphere. So never having to touch that weak link that is, you know, the offline paper bureaucracy, um, which is not really trustless as we are used to in the crypto sphere. And when you say shares of income, would that be from a company? Because it does feel like that might have some relation to the real world. Um, it could be for, you know, uh, an Aragon company, for example, and that is a company that exists fully in, in digital mode, if you wish. So you could have an Aragon company or any sort of other DAO that could receive income and then it has rules for, uh, for that income. And so it could be, you know, 10% of the income goes to the security token and, you know, dividends go to the security tokens or there's an interest on some sort of other security. So um, it could be companies, it could be DAOs, but as long as, you know, the flows are all into Ether and, uh, or any other currency, obviously, and you don't have to actually have, you know, a, an exchange for an offline entity that decides, okay, now I'm going to move these 
uh, dollars into Ether, and then I'm going to distribute them to all the security token holders. Um, I feel that that's a, a much more clean and specifically something that's really ripe for opportunity to create new things. That's really interesting. Have you seen any projects that are proposing this type of token? We're, we're starting to see uh, quite a few. Um, one of the interesting ones, for example, is SIA. Uh, um, so the SIA you know, storage network, they have uh, a dual token economy. And in, in one token, you actually pay for fees on the, on the network to, to store the files. And those fees, a percentage of those fees actually accrue to the holders of the CF fund tokens. Um, so, so I think that that is a, is a great example of a fully digital security token. Oh, interesting. And do you feel like, so I, something I don't know is in that case, you know, obviously we're seeing that there's a lot of regulatory questions around tokenized securities. How does the regulatory question come up for something like this where it's a fully digital security token? It does. You know, I think that on one side, it, um, I have no idea that's, I think, the right answer. But, you know, on one side, I think that they are probably closer to what is already defined in the regulatory bodies for what a security is. But on the other side, you know, these things live entirely digitally. And so it's extremely, it's actually probably impossible to control who is actually holding um, and creating this securities because there's no offline entity that the regulators can actually tap into you know, just to have a sort of control. And do you know if in the case of SIA funds, whether the, whether or not they've done uh, whatever, you know, filings or, or registrations they would need to for, I, you know, I, I personally don't know much about the SIA funds, but. Yeah, I should know. I forget. Uh, so it's, it's probably better. I don't, I don't give a, an incorrect answer. Huh, interesting. Well, I did interview David recently. Maybe I can email him and ask him about that because, you know, I do feel like obviously just we're seeing that in the token space, this question of regulation is hanging over a lot of these projects. And so I I do wonder when you create something that is clearly a security, but fully digital, how, how that will interact with regulation. Yeah, but um, It's going to be a fun one, both for issuers and for regulators. <laughs> yes, um, either that or I wonder what would be more fun, that or or utility tokens. <laughs> exactly. So another thing that you mentioned that you'd been thinking about was these dual token economies. And you gave SiaCoin as one example, because they have the SiaCoin and they have Sia funds. A few others you mentioned were like MakerDAO, which has Maker and Dai, or MKR and Dai, stable the stablecoin basis, which has three different coins. So, what have your thoughts been around these dual or triple token economies? Yeah, I think you know we're we're increasingly seeing this in in, in new projects, and I think they're a great evolution of the space because people are realizing that tokens can serve very specific use cases and, and, you know, can create incentivization for many different types of actions, but they're not perfect for a full-on ecosystem. And so in an ecosystem, you're going to have many different stakeholders. So you can have users, investors, developers, um, uh, probably regulators, and, and all sorts of people that need to interact with either a project or um, a company um, or a network, right? And so I do think that by creating different tokens that adapt to each sort of player or you know figure that is uh, going to interact with this ecosystem, 
you can uh, fine tune the incentives in a much deeper way that is not possible if you were to have only one token for for everyone in there. And so we're seeing, you know, this this economies where there's something that's clearly a security token that's meant that's meant for investors. Then we have the utility token that's meant for users, um, and then we can have something different that could be, you know, given away for free or or things like that. So um, in general, I'm I'm very excited about that. I don't have, you know, I'm not saying like that's the the definitive approach, but I I, I do think that it makes sense in uh, in very complicated ecosystems. That's really interesting. I really like this. So I don't want to give too much away, but in an upcoming episode of Unchained, which unfortunately is is like a couple of weeks out, the guests and I sparred a little bit over whether or not crypto economics was a thing or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I argued for, and this sounds kind of like a more, I guess, evolved or or nuanced way of, of trying to implement crypto economics. So I do, I do think that's interesting. And are you seeing that a lot of new projects that are in the works are also employing multiple coin economies? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely a trend that I'm seeing in, in new projects that I'm seeing. Oh, interesting. Okay. All right. So we'll discuss personal data monetization projects and how DAOs could lead to a less capitalist world. But first, a quick word from our fabulous sponsors. OnRamp is a full-service creative and design agency that has helped numerous companies, including many in the blockchain and crypto space, maximize their brand awareness, gain traction, and accelerate growth. Whether you're a startup company launching a new brand or an established brand exploring a new campaign, OnRamp has you covered. OnRamp has a passion for boosting business results and can help with everything from logo and website design to full creative execution. Focus on your core technology and leave the rest to OnRamp. To learn more and see how they've helped passionate entrepreneurs achieve their dreams, go to thinkonramp.com. Imagine this. You dedicate countless hours of hard work to creating a smart contract only to be hacked in mere minutes. If you think that can't happen, think again. We hear that $10 billion has been raised through smart contracts, but over $300 of that has already been compromised. Hackers are hungry for more, so security is not just critical to your success, it's an absolute necessity. And that is where QuantStamp, the standard for smart contract security, comes in. With a team of security audit experts dedicating to defeating the bad guys, the Quant stamp of approval is your solution for safer smart contracts. Find out how we can be the gold standard for security at quantstamp.com. I'm speaking with Stefano Bernardi of Token Economy. So you also mentioned before the show that you'd been thinking about personal data monetization projects and how you thought they would fail. Why? Why is that? Um, yeah, so we, we actually had this conversation in London with a number of, um, of groups of people on a small meetup um, that was all centered around this kind of data problem. And uh, crypto is usually uh, painted as, you know, the, the kind of big solver for data ownership and monetization. And so the, the big deal here is that users are finally able to be uh, the actual owners of the data and be rewarded when someone um, kind of uses that data to to earn a profit. And obviously the, the main use case that everyone kind of taunts around is ads on, on Facebook or Google or platforms that kind of uh, tailor ads for you. And um, the, the reality there is that people have been trying this business model for decades 
And in my opinion, the, the economics are, are just not there. So, you know, if you were to actually pay out a user based on the data that they have on Facebook or something, they could probably fetch, you know, five to 10 bucks at the very most per year. Um, and, and that's just nowhere near uh, a level to incentivize someone to jump all the hopes about, you know, kind of uh, fine tuning all their data and giving access to platforms every time and then earn some tokens and then sell them for dollars uh, or actually first for Bitcoin and then for dollars. The fees would eat probably everything. Um, but then when you ask a user, you know, they'll probably tell you that they want, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars for their data because it is so valuable. But the reality is that there's this big mismatch and, and it just doesn't work out. So um, what I think will probably happen is that, you know, this new technology might incentivize the creation of completely new projects that create data that today would be, you know, non-viable um, and, you know, non-financially viable to, to create. Uh, maybe with sensors on, you know, on the ground or in space, uh, on satellites or whatever, um, that then can be monetized and probably, you know, through fully digital security tokens. Um, but, you know, we're seeing so many projects that have uh, the thesis or the business model, oh, we're going to give data ownership to the people um, and, and this will make everything work. But, you know, the reality is that people are on Facebook, not because of the personalized ads, but because all of their friends are and they share stuff in there. So, so the value that the, the personalization kind of accrues is just, you know, small feature-ish uh, piece on top. Interesting. So you feel like there's literally no way that you'll ever see the two sides of the market come together and agree on a price? Um, not in this current market. So what I, what I don't um, kind of know, obviously, is what new types of products could be created if there was a lot more data. I just don't see it happening on the current type of data that the users possess. And, you know, that I think goes also to, you know, your DNA genome and, um, and things like that. But, um, you know, I think that as in every little thing, we, we tend to say, oh, well, you know, this sucks today. So obviously it will never work. Um, but then, you know, in 10, 15 years, uh, the technology and the flows and um, the user education has changed so much and the prices have gone down so, gone down so much that it actually does end up working and, and changing the world. So uh, I'm not discounting that, you know, in 10, 15 years, we will own all sorts of data and give access uh, programmatically to different uh, people. I just do not see it happening in, in, in the short term. Interesting. And then I wanted to circle back to what you were saying about sensors and how that would be monetized and said, I didn't quite follow that. Were you saying that that would be the type of data that you could see a market for? And if so, what types of data, like weather data or? Yeah, I'm just thinking about, you know, um, I, we're seeing many different um, uh, projects and, and this is not only in crypto um, that kind of create new data sets that today just don't exist, right? And, and that could be, for example, you know, we're seeing precision agriculture uh, projects where the soil is sampled, you know, every uh, 100 meters or something. And, and you have data about the weather, the humidity, and all of these things that can be used, obviously, for irrigation and, uh, and the, the agricultural stuff, but also for weather insurance and things like that. And so I think that, you know, once the technology and the markets are set up where uh, data owners can be rewarded, 
then maybe we can incentivize new types of data creation that today are not profitable because you can't really sell them to anyone uh, or you can only sell them to, to one company and it, it's not that profitable. So, um, so that's kind of the thesis. You know, I don't have anything kind of specific in mind. Um, I just do think that, you know, once we create some new technologies it, that enable things that today are just not possible, um, we might see the flourishing of things like this. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think the one question that I would have, which, you know, I don't think either of us can answer right now is just that in the first type of data where it's like personal pe- people's personal data, they don't have to buy any equipment to monetize that. Right. And so I totally get your point about the market. I think that's interesting. I don't know if I've, you know, done enough investigating of it to see if I think that, you know, what you're saying about the price is not aligning being correct. But with what you're talking about here with the sensors, people would need to buy these objects in order to monetize this data. And so in that sense, I sort of feel like there is that hump to get over, which is, you know, they need to put out a little bit of capital in order to create these data streams. So in that regard, like, I feel like that may be a I think we're seeing it a bit already. You know, there's, um, there's some companies, for example, that pay people to go into supermarkets and take pictures of the placement of the, the, pro- the products that they, that they own or of their competitors. Um, and that, you know, today is data that does not exist and companies are, uh, just paying straight, straight up for, for that data, which is, you know, digital images. And, uh, and that's just one use case and, and it's done on a marketplace. So I think that, you know, if we have a technology that, you know, I can upload that data and it can be sold multiple times and I can control it and, and it's all decentralized that could create, uh, new, new data markets that today are just not viable. Yeah. You know, I'm just blanking, but back when I did the Forbes FinTech 50 list, there was this really, really interesting shoot. I, th- I think it had the name data in the, in the name, but there was this company that would basically crowdsource data around the world by using people or using users in that way that you just described. And, you know, I, I, I just wish I could remember it because it, it, it was really interesting. Um, but anyway, I actually, I want to move on because so before the show, when I asked you what you'd been thinking about, probably the most interesting item in your list was you mentioned that you've been thinking about DAOs, incentivizing progress, and how that could lead us to a less capitalist world. What did you mean by that? So I, um, I've i been thinking a lot about capital recently and how, you know, there's just such an abundance of capital in the world today that, you know, most institutional investors just don't know what to do with it. It is so much and it all goes into funds that then invested into funds. And it's just a non-optimal um, financial system, um, as, as probably most people in crypto believe, right? That's why I came to Bitcoin and why uh, many people got interested into this stuff, right? I discovered Bitcoin through my love for alternative local currencies. And so I do think that, you know, many people that are involved into this space have the same ideals. And um, obviously not a lot of the uh, $100 million ICO raising people, but, um, you know, there's, there's, there's quite a variety um, of people involved in this space. And, um, and I do think that, you know, the, the promise of decentralization is also the promise of removing middlemen and, and making progress more efficient and removing monopolies and, and all of these stuff that's, that's very capitalist and, so my thinking has just been around how to 
incentivize a DAO instead of a normal company. And right now, I don't think that there's a great solution for that. You know, um, it, when there is effort to be put and risk to be had, it, it just makes sense for someone to create a company and to reap the financial rewards um, of their work and of the risk that they undertook, right? So it, it's a bit, you know, what in, in the offline world are co cooperatives. Right now, I live in a place of the world where co-ops are um, a huge part of the economy. And I just love that. Um, but, you know, when I started to think about creating co-ops for, for different things, I couldn't really see the, the trade-off between the risk and the work and not earning that financial incentive. Wait, I so, don't know if, so that's, if I'm hearing what word you're saying. Are you saying bots? No, co-ops. So oh, co-ops. Co okay. Yes. Um, nice. Apologies for the accent, but yeah. Co-ops are um, are a very big part of the economy here, and um, and you know you can think about it a bit as DAOs, right? Because like co-ops have uh, decentralized governance, and you can structure them any way you want, right? Because it, it could have decentralized ownership and centralized governance, uh, or the other way around. So um, I think that that is a fascinating area that we're just starting to tackle, and uh, you know there's things like Aragon, obviously, and, and many other DAOs. DAO frameworks that are going to enable many people to easily start something like that. And I do think that that's really the path towards, uh, you know, a world that's, uh, that's more fair um, and less, less capitalist. I've been reading the, the book from Albert, um, from Albert from USV, World After Capital. And um, a lot of those concepts resonate with me and, and research in the area is just fascinating. Oh, and the name of that was World After Capital. And who was the author again? It's Albert from USV, Union Square Ventures. Oh, right, 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 right. You know, one other thing that that made me think of is I recently interviewed Chris Dixon of Andreessen Horowitz for my other podcast, Unchained. And I did ask him something like this, where I said, hey, you know, we have this technology that has the potential to be democratizing. But so far, what we've seen in this world is that like a lot of the people that tend to be rich in our current society have also gotten rich in this in this new world. And I wondered, you know, I asked him kind of like, how could we take advantage of the of the, the democratizing potential in this technology? So what do you think it would take? Because I feel like the the compulsion is so strong in the capitalist world. You know, the incentives are there. Um, I, I don't know if I, you know, where I fall in terms of, because frankly, I think in many ways, I'm probably, probably a bit more pro-capitalist. And so I just wonder, <laughs> I don't know. I like definitely, obviously I see that the excesses of capitalism maybe aren't the best, um, but I, I worry a little bit about veering too far in the other direction. But I'm just curious to know, you know, what do you think is the way that we can take advantage of the democratizing potential in this technology? Absolutely. I think that's, you know, an extremely hard question and, you know, probably a philosophical one that you can wrestle all your life with. But, you know, capitalism will tend to centralize everything and, you know, really like the true final stage of capitalism is one company that owns everything. And, and is the most efficient to everyone, right? So, um, you know, Please, I think we're seeing no. many. <laughs> um, but, you know, like, there, obviously, everyone has their opinion. I haven't really formed mine. Um, I just think that exploration of alternatives is um, 
uh, uttered and inter- interesting, really, you know, intellectually mandatory, at least for me. And so um, I see this as a new technology that veers in the in the right direction for that. And maybe, you know, it applies only to a very specific set of the economy and the, the rest of the economy is, is better uh, served by capitalism, which obviously has done wonders, right? Um, but I, I just see that that seed and I see the people that work on it and, and are so excited um, on, on their mission. And, and so there's definitely something there. Yeah, yeah. I do wonder how we shift, though, because I do feel like the incentive is to stick with the more capitalist model. You know, I, I did realize Absolutely. after asking Chris that question that maybe he his incentives are not aligned with <laughs> do you know what I mean because it was just because of his job um oh yeah and mine too you know I'm I you know I charge rent on stuff and I spend most of my money investing in equity of other companies uh expecting to to generate a return uh so so most definitely you know it's an internal challenging question obviously because you don't want to be a hypocrite as either right so um that's why mm-hmm. I was saying it's more of a philosophical thing that I, I always have in the back of my mind and it kind of resurfaced when, um, you know, this, this DAO concept really uh, became um, a reality. Uh, but I think, you know, one thing could be, you know, that the zero marginal cost economy could someday be, become real. Uh, zero marginal cost society is a cool book by Rifkin, which basically states that, you know, through our digital innovation, we're bringing the cost of a lot of things really close to zero because, you know, before you had to print a CD, now a song is basically, uh, it's free to replicate and, and all such things. And so I think that, you know, in, in that direction, in that economy, DAOs uh, could, could probably provide a, a new type of uh, financial system that, that would be interesting and fair. Oh, this is incredibly fascinating. I have to read Albert's book. I think the reason why I like this topic so much is that it makes me so intellectually uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> Yes. As and, you know, I'll change, I'll change opinion on this every couple of months, obviously, you know, so it's, um, but it's really fun to think about. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I feel myself pinging between, you know, the fact that my ancestors come from North Korea and, um, like my family sort of narrowly escaped, uh, being trapped there. Uh, I think that is part of my discomfort. And then, you know, just knowing uh, kind of all the faults of the U.S. government and having friends from like Swedish, from Sweden and in other places where, you know, they have these like big social welfare states. Like a, a part of me is just like, whoa, like I find myself, yeah, just pinging uncomfortably between, well, there are benefits in this direction and that direction. Anyway, well, this has been yeah. incredibly fascinating. I'm so glad that we got to chat. Thanks for coming on Unconfirmed. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining us today. To learn more about the topics we discussed, be sure to check out the links in the show notes of your podcast episode. New episodes of Unconfirmed come out every Friday. If you haven't already, rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Unconfirmed is produced by me, Laura Shin, with help from Elaine Zelby, Fractal Recording, Jenny Josephson, and Daniel Ness. Thanks for listening.